We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. Mike Wellman here, joined by Jacob Wessendorf tonight, filling in for Tyler Grezegorik. And Jacob, hopefully you're staying warm and avoiding this frigid cold that's hitting the Midwest right now. Yeah, it's brutal. Uh, they were saying here in Rockford that the wind chill on Wednesday at 8 a.m. might be like minus 61 degrees or something stupid like that. So um, quite the frozen tundra, if you will, <laughs> for, for the entire Midwest. Uh, I'm not a fan, but... The sooner it gets here, you know, we always knew it was coming. You know, I said the winter was relatively tame. We always knew it was coming. So the sooner it's here, the sooner it's over, and we can move towards spring, the draft, baseball season, and all that stuff. Yeah, when I was at work uh, on Friday, the, the highest our temperature gauge, gauge got was 0.1 degree. So it was – that was – so it, it's cold. We can agree on that. It's, it's perfect for – if they could ever get a Super Bowl up to Green Bay, that would be great. This would be perfect weather for it. Yeah, there's a 0% chance of that because of what we're talking about right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But either way, as we continue our series talking about breaking down the Packers 2018-19 season debacle, disaster, whatever you want to call it, we get the honor of covering the coaching. And this should be fun because uh, it left a lot to be desired and a lot to be angry about. Uh, but 100%. Be- before we get into that, don't forget again, follow us at Packaday Podcast on Twitter. And a couple uh, just housekeeping things for some news from the Packers earlier today as well. Uh, first one, Brian Angelico, the former tight ends coach. He is now in Washington as the newest uh, coach for the Redskins under Jay Gruden. And the Packers made an official hire today. They hired Mike Smith as the outside linebackers coach. And when I got this update, I want to make sure it wasn't the former Falcons coach. And luckily, I am correct that it is not. It's another younger guy, uh, seventh year in the NFL. He's been with Kansas City the last three, uh, helped bring up D. Ford to become a Pro Bowl linebacker, helped with Justin Houston as well. A former coach also at, at Texas Tech uh, with the Jets. And he he was a former linebacker at Texas Tech as well, and he played for the Ravens for four years before some injuries hit. So another guy with a lot of football playing experience, coaching in college in the NFL as well, and Mike Smith, now is the outside linebackers coach as Mike Pettin's coaching staff starts to take a little bit more shape. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the one thing I I don't have a whole lot of opinion on him, because like you said, there's not a whole lot that we can really be well-versed on. I know that Chiefs fans were upset when they heard about this. 
He did a pretty good job last year with their outside linebacking core, which has some talent on it, uh, but it also has guys like former Packers great Frank Zombo on it. So uh, there's a lot there uh, for them to potentially work with, and he'll be looking at a probably a brand-new room here in Green Bay because we don't really know who the edge rushing group is going to be. I can say that I pretty much safely believe that all of us are happy that the pass rushing coach is not Winston Moss anymore. So that is kind of my relief. It's very similar to how we'll probably feel when the special teams coordinator is finally hired. It's not Ron Zook, so an upgrade. No, I agree. And we can always play six degrees of former Packers. We had Frank Zombo, obviously, with the Chiefs. We can even go back to Ruvo Martin catching passes from Matt LaFleur in college. Back at Saginaw Valley. But yeah, Will Smith, the Mike Smith, sorry, Mike Smith, the new outside linebackers coach for the Green Bay Packers, the fourth hire announced in the past couple of days for the team. But as we turn our attention toward last year, there is a lot of coaching to break down. Most of it very bad, uh, and that's obviously what led to the firing of Mike McCarthy following what was probably the most disheartening defeat that I can remember as a Packers fan when they lost to an Arizona team that had no business playing NFL football last year, let alone winning a game in Lambeau Field. But as, so I figure, Jacob, we'll start, we'll start, we'll start at the bottom. We'll go with, and this one we can go for a while, I'm guessing, which will be special teams. Obviously, Ron Zook was just a nightmare as a coach last year. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I mean, every week you almost thought, like, man, is there, can they get any lower? And then they finally did. Matt Prater threw a touchdown pass against them in the last game of the season. And there's a picture of Ron Zook basically standing there, arms folded, when it's obvious to everyone in the stadium, apparently, except for the Green Bay Packers, that this is going to be a fake because somebody's lined up on the outside of the formation and the Packers had no clue about it. And there he is in the end zone standing by himself. And Matt Prater, the kicker, throws a touchdown pass against them. I mean, Ron Zook was rock bottom, man. I mean, every week, they couldn't even run a play. Like, I mean, Ron Zook always made the the statement of, you know, we don't get a second down. We don't get a third down. Uh, you know, we, we have to be right right away. And there's not a whole lot. I mean, I can't even think of anything that they did well this year on special teams. I mean, the return game was poor. Uh, the They turned the ball over at least three times off the top of my head in the return game. So I don't really know what to do with that. The, the kicking game, I mean, Mason Crosby had a game this year. It was my bachelor party weekend, so I'll never forget it. We were in Detroit. Mason Crosby misses 17 field goals or something along those lines. So he misses a kick there. Uh, the punting game was bad. And it seemed like every play, it's like, even when they did something good, like they have big returns. Ty Montgomery had a couple big returns early in the year. Sure enough, holding penalty, block in the back. You know, whatever. I mean, those are relatively common throughout the league, but damn, it felt like every single play the Packers had, they couldn't even run a special teams play. The only highlight I guess I can really think of is early in the year against Minnesota, Geronimo Allison blocks a punt that is recovered by Josh Jackson in the end zone. But other than that, that was like the very lone glimmer of light in a season of very, very bad. And he was fired and deservedly so. He probably should have never been hired. He was hired uh, to be an assistant to Sean Slocum once upon a time. And I know that name doesn't bring up a whole lot of good memories either. And it was for somebody who had really no qualifications to be a special teams coordinator. So Ron Zook, my lasting memory of him uh, is going to be him standing there dumbfounded with his arms folded as if he had no idea what the hell was going on as Matt Prater drops back to pass. And again, Matt Prater is a kicker. So when you see somebody drop back to pass, this should be obvious. And it wasn't. It almost felt like the opposing special teams coordinators were just laughing at the Packers by the end of the season. So it was embarrassing by every stretch of the imagination uh, by Ron Zook. No, it really was. And it, it is a sign of the coaching when you see the constant penalties. A lot of them were nowhere near the ball either, especially on those big returns. Or you had J.K. Scott not being consistent with his mechanics. You had offline snaps from Bradley still at times. The operation for field goals wasn't good. There were leaks through the through the gaps where he had some blocked kicks and things like that. And you're right, the only bright spot was that blocked punt by Geronimo Allison. But even then, that was more of that was a great design, but it was still executed perfectly. Whereas every other play was just a was watching like a Keystone Cops movie where something was going haywire somewhere on the field. Whether it was a penalty, whether it was a, a muffed punt, whether it was a a blocked kick or 
uh, Johnny Hecker throwing to Sam Shields for a first down or Matt Prater's touchdown or whatever could go wrong did, and that reflects back on coaching. And I think it's safe to say that Ron Zook gets the lowest grade you can possible, which is even worse than an F, because F's not even nice enough for him. It, the, the, there's not a letter that's been invented that can be described the coaching job that he did last year. No, I can't. I can't disagree with anything you just said. Um, you know, <laughs> think of whatever the worst grade is that you got on a test once upon a time, and Ron Zook is much worse than that. Um, you know, there was a lot of problems this year on the coaching staff, but I mean, honestly, I can't even think of anybody that we could even consider saying did a worse job than than Ron Zook did this year. No, Coach Klein from the Waterboy was better. But oh as, my God! <laughs> but as we we'll get away from that and get the sour taste out of our mouths. Uh, we'll go to the defense because that's this is probably where we're going to get the biggest highlights, at least for coaching wise. Uh, Mike Patton as a coordinator, a breath of fresh air, that hard no style that he brings that was a mile different than what Dom Capers had for all those years. He brought he was very refreshing to see, and he was able to make some adjustments. He was able to get the most out of the talent he had, and whenever even if he didn't always have eleven healthy bodies on the field and occasionally ten, depending on communication issues. But I, th- I thought Mike Pettin did a, a a yeoman's job last year. I thought he did a very solid job for a guy getting used to a new a new team, a new city, uh, players he hadn't worked with before. And I think it was a smart move keeping him around to work with these young guys because you saw a lot of young guys like Jair Alexander and especially guys like Kyler Fackrell who really kind of found the players that they're going to be under Mike Pettin. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't. I think during the year we kind of got to the point where even when the Packers were still in contention, we were kind of overestimating the defense a little bit. Um, Even at its best this year when they had all their healthy guys, it wasn't a championship-level unit. I think that's fair to say. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm not going to pretend Mike Pettin is Bill Belichick, but he did a very good job, especially, I mean, the end of the year when the Packers really, I mean, honestly, they kind of fell apart because they're throwing guys out there like Ibrahim Campbell and Eddie Pleasant and, I mean, just random dudes, to be honest with you. I mean, they didn't have their – by the end of the year, you know, the last game of the season, Mike Daniels, out. Kenny Clark, out. Kevin King, out. Jair Alexander, out. I mean, there's so many guys on this roster that were just missing. And I understand you have to have depth and everything like that. I thought Mike Patton did a really good job. And I look forward to seeing what he can do when there's some real talent added to this room because you even look at – he generated so much pressure with, I mean, Kyler Fackrell led the team in sacks. And with all due respect to Kyler Fackrell, but nobody could have anticipated Fackrell having the year that he did. I mean, this is a guy who, at the beginning of the year, Packers fans were debating whether he should even be on the roster over someone like, say, Vince Beagle. And Vince Beagle is now special teams fodder for the New Orleans Saints. So it's pretty clear that Beagle wouldn't have had the impact this year that Fackrell had. I don't think anybody saw that coming. That was a big year for Patton in that regard, and I look forward to seeing what he can do when the Packers add some actual pass rushers that aren't past their prime, like, say, Clay Matthews or injured like Nick Perry. I look forward to seeing what he can do with uh, some real talent on this roster. No, I agree. I think, I think the, his, his, the way he coached up a lot of these guys worked very well, and a lot of that goes to his assistants as well. Uh, Jerry Montgomery did a very good job on the defensive line. Look at what he did with Tyler Lancaster and later in the year, Dean Lowry and Montrevious Adams kind of both stepped up as well. Uh, the biggest thing that was a problem was he, he didn't get the best. He Reggie Gilbert has shown that now he is just a guy. He was a preseason star, but he did nothing in the regular season for the Packers and a team that desperately needed outside linebacker help. He did not provide much pass rush at all. Uh, they couldn't get Oren Burks going yet. The shoulder injury didn't help, but I think it's the biggest thing was getting guys who do have athletic ability. He couldn't quite get them up to that level just yet, but I think that extra year could help. But outside of that, he did a solid job patching guys through and dealing with with weaknesses up the middle, especially at middle linebacker and at safety. And he he know and a guy like Patton knows what the strength of his defense is. And right now, it's the defensive line and the cornerback spot. And he schemes in that and to make those spots maximize instead of trying to force players into a scheme that will not fit them like we saw for so many years with capers. Yeah, I think that, that is kind of the biggest thing is the first time I really knew because, I mean, the preseason, you can only do so much. 
Uh, and you can only glean so much from that time. But I saw in the first game of the season against the Bears, just the adjustments that he made at halftime. I can promise you that, I mean, I believe the Bears scored six points in the second half against the Packers. It was 17 nothing at halftime. I can promise you if Dom Capers is the defensive coordinator, that the final score of that Bears game is 34-20 Chicago because he continues to let Mitchell Trubisky move off of his spot. He doesn't take Tariq Cohen away like the, the Packers found away. Trey Burton was taken away. Essentially, instead of having Alexander and Jackson shadow uh, receivers, he had Jackson was basically designated to go with Trey Burton, and Jair Alexander was basically, hey, if 29's on the field, you're going with him. And the Packers took those guys away in the second half, and it turned out really well for them. I did like the fact that he was making adjustments throughout the course of a game. Uh, sometimes those didn't always work. You mentioned there's some athletic guys on this roster that they need to get the most out of. OB, Owen Burks is one of them. Uh, Josh Jones is another one. Uh, Reggie Gilbert, you mentioned, he's he's Jag, like you mentioned. He's just a guy. Uh, and that's that's really the reality of the Packers' situation is pass rush can make every defense look better. And the Packers simply didn't have enough pass rush without blitzing. And in this day and age with the quick passing game and everything like that, you better be able to get pressure with four and cover with seven because the best defenses I've seen in recent memory, the best defense in the league this year was the Chicago Bears. Why? Uh, well, for starters, they have a ton of talent on that defense. But Khalil Mack, Hakeem Hicks, Leonard Floyd, Eddie Goldman, party at the quarterback, those four guys, Vic Fangio, I mean, he could send his cross-dog blitz with Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan, but that's a wrinkle. Like, he doesn't have to do that. When the money's on the line, he can trust those four guys to get to the quarterback, unless Nick Foles is playing quarterback, apparently. But that's something I would like to see for Green Bay next season, is a better ability to get pressure with just their front four. And they just didn't have that ability this year uh, for various different reasons. And that's really, I mean... I'll talk about this a lot throughout the offseason. That is why I think that they need – I, you know, a few years ago we talked about cornerback and the plan was like draft one and sign one. Well, this year it might be draft two and sign one or sign two and draft one or something like that. But they need to rebuild that entire pass rushing room to give Patton a fighting chance on some of these schemes to where his blitzes are. And that ultimately will make his blitzes more effective too because – if the defense is legitimately worried, or the, not the defense, I'm sorry, if the offense is legitimately worried about one or two just specific guys, similar to the way that offenses used to worry about Clay when he was in his prime, that makes your blitzes more effective because there's so much attention on those guys that your blitzes come free even more often than they already did this year. No, absolutely. And you think about it, you think of how much that would free up also Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, and whether it's Lowry or Wilkerson, whoever they have at that other line spot, that helps a lot too. And I do think with such a great edge class in the draft this year, you go there at 12, get a Brian Burns, get a Ja'Kai Polite, get one of those guys, Colin Farrell, get one of those guys out there. But I'm interested to see now with Mike Smith, that linebacker's coach, if D Ford is an actual option now to follow the coach that he worked at, at his best with, because I don't know if the Chiefs can afford to keep him around with the money they're paying to Houston. And Chris Jones got to get paid soon, and Barry's got a big contract, and you're going to have to think of also in the future signing Patrick Mahomes to a mega deal. So I wonder if they let D. Ford go, and that could be a, a spot in Green Bay to line up as a speed rusher out there to really make teams work, and that frees things up on the defensive line from the corner spot to maybe try some of those exotic blitzes again. And that, like you said, pass rush makes everything better. If you can move a quarterback, you are going to have success. And that's where Mike Penn's at his best, and you just give him more talent that way. And this could be a team where they're already like fourth or something in sacks this year. They could be a top three, top two team in sacks if they have the right talent to go with Penn's scheme. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at last year, you know, I just saw a highlight of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I know they scored 41 points in the Super Bowl and their offense was really good. But their defense was actually really good for most of the year, too. Why? Because they had Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and Chris Long and a lot of different guys. And even this year, that carried over to a point. You add all those guys in, and as well as Michael Bennett. The two teams that are in the Super Bowl, Patriots have Trey Flowers. Uh, they're able to create some pressure with blitzes. They had Adrian Claiborne for a little bit. Kyle Van Noy is one guy who comes to mind. And that's something that I'm so jealous of with the Patriots, is they find a way to use players like that perfectly. 
uh, and fill a role for like that. Like I met Josh Jones, for example, is somebody I was thinking about earlier today. So it's kind of funny that we're talking about that now. But Josh Jones, I think, would be a star if he was playing for the Patriots. They would find the perfect role for him and just make him create havoc. Josh Jones was born to be near the line of scrimmage and hunt. And I think the Packers do a little too much of the traditional safety stuff with him. Um, and then you look at the Rams, Aaron Donald and Damu Kong Su. They don't have a great edge pass rusher, but they're able to create pressure because, well, Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in the league. That certainly helps. But that makes guys like Dante Fowler better. Uh, that makes guys like their other pass rushers better is just having those guys on their roster and their ability to create pressure that way. So, yeah, get this guy some more talent and let's see what he can do. And you talk about the Rams. Think of Josh Jones as like a Mark Barron role, what he would do there. I, I mean, I've been calling for that since he got drafted. I was like, plug him in next to Blake Martinez. We'll worry about the running down stuff later. And Josh, you just see what you do and you go. The only time I want you covering anybody is running backs out of the backfield. But otherwise, I don't even give a damn if the Packers blitz him on every single third down. Like that guy this year, you mentioned the Cardinals game earlier in the year. There was a play in that game where Josh Jones was blitzing and it looked like he was shot out of a cannon. I mean, this guy is special near the line of scrimmage. Let him hunt. And I will be on that all off season. Give him for Andy Benoit's sake, give him like a number in the forties or fifties and call him a linebacker, but he doesn't need to be playing deep safety or anything like that. Just find a spot and let him hunt. No, that that's why my my ideal would be uh, in April would be grab a pass rusher first overall, then grab Nasir Adderley to play free safety. Because you can let him roam around back there and try and be Nick Collins, and then you can bring Jones up and let him just cause, be a wrecking ball out there. Because you, you look at the best, and this is, will go to what Petten could do, you look at the best game Josh Jones ever played was his rookie year against Cincinnati. He was the best player on the field that day for either team. Yeah, yeah, he had 10 tackles, two sacks. He was dominant. All over the place. He was incredible. So if you can get that play from him, that's going to make this defense so much better. And I think a guy like Petten and as well as some of the new coaches they have in could help with that as well. Like Jason Simmons, I think, could really help with that. And maybe Mike Smith and all these new coaches that are coming in. But as we move toward what has been in the upside down world, the offense being a mess last year. A lot of that's coaching and we'll get to Mike McCarthy in just a couple minutes, but obviously David Rye and Signetti did not work with the players they had. Uh, Rye did not work with the receivers very well outside of Devontae Adams and some flashes from the rookies and Signetti hadn't could not work with Aaron Rodgers at all. Whether that was residual stuff from the Van Pelt departure or whether that was something going on with Rogers, just Rodgers and McCarthy, whatever. The position coaches could not work, or at least the ones that are gone, did not work with the personnel they had last year. Now, Ben Sermons was good with the running backs. Uh, James Campen did yeoman's work for dealing with essentially four linemen and Byron Bell. But <laughs> but he's gone now as well, and uh, we have Andy Stenovich there now. So it's interesting to see how the offense changes with all these new position coaches there under, under Matt LaFleur and uh, Nate Hackett, it'll be interesting to see whether they can get the most out of these guys like we've seen some more with the defense last year. If that can flip over to the offensive side, there's a lot more to be happy with with this Packers offense. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a need for some infusion of talent. I mean, if you look at, I honestly believe that, you know, I know everybody loves the rookies and MVS had some moments this year. EQ had some moments this year. Jamon Moore, kind of a lost year. Uh, Jake Kumaro is a fan favorite. He's just a guy, too, most likely. Uh, I think that there's a need for – I mean, I was watching a high – and granted, this is a receiving core that will never be able to be put together again. But just watching a highlight from Super Bowl 45, and one series has Greg Jennings and Donald Driver, and the next series has Jordy Nelson and James Jones. And then you go to the next year where you sprinkle in Randall Cobb and Jermichael Finley. I mean, those were, what, six legitimate – stud pass catchers where defensive coordinators basically had to say, okay, somebody in this game is going to get theirs, but I don't know who that is. Whereas this year it was Devontae Adams and that was it. I mean, Randall Cobb is older and ineffective now at this point in his career. Uh, the rookies, like I mentioned, were inconsistent. I put a lot of blame on David Ray for that. Uh, the There was a highlight from the Seahawks game, a Thursday night game. And Troy Aikman is basically, and Troy has plenty 
of reasons for you to not like him. Uh, being a Dallas Cowboys quarterback is probably towards the top of that list at one point. But he's showing the Packers' inability to break open in that scramble drill. And that's where Jordy Nelson and Cobb, even in his prime, had the abilities to find holes in those zones, work back to the quarterback. And the young guys just didn't do that. Um, and I really think that when it comes to this offense, I don't think you should be allowing three non-top 100 picks stop you from, I mean, honestly, I'm okay. You know, we're talking draft strategy a little bit, you know, 12 overall, take the best available defensive player. Uh, if that's a pass rusher, I would prefer it that way. I don't want to lock into one position though, so to speak, but 30 and 44, if you can get a, a tight end and a young wide receiver at those positions, I really do think this offense needs an infusion of talent and high end talent, not guys that are projects because that's what MBS is. He's a project. Even EQ is a project to some point. Jamon Moore is a project. And I'm not saying you got to give up on those guys, but let's have some legitimate competition instead of, oh, uh, Jamon Moore, you were drafted in the fourth round a year ago, so we have to keep you. I don't want to do that. I want to find some high-level offensive talent, give Rodgers a weapon to where it's great that Devontae Adams had this awesome year and would have broken receiving records for the franchise had he not been injured uh, in the last game of the season. But I would like to see it to where we don't have to have it that way, where Rodgers is basically just rely on Devontae and hope for all else. Um, and that could mean the tight end position as well, which is probably tight end to the offense is what edge rusher is to the defense. I would bet there's a significant makeover at that uh, position going into next season. So that's what I would keep an eye on. But, yeah, the offense, I think, needs a an infusion of young talent. No, I agree, and I think, for me personally, I think the biggest need is going to be right guard, because I, I do think, I, I'd like to get another a slot, you need a true slot receiver, whether that is signing a guy like an Adam Humphreys or a Colt Beasley, whatever, with that whole thing that's going on right now, or drafting a Debo Samuel or whatever. Debo! But, there we go. <laughs> now I just want to do Friday references, but... Yes, 100%. But I think if you can find a right guard that's not going to get Aaron Rodgers killed, because that didn't happen last year. Uh, Lucas Patrick was average at best. Byron Bell was a, was a nightmare out there. Uh, Justin McCray's best as a uh, utility guy. Obviously, Jason Spriggs is not a guard at all. And so you, you need uh, someone to come in and play that spot. And I think you can find one in the second, third round there in the draft, or find one in free agency, maybe even like a Roger Saffold, whatever, so on and so forth, to help the coaching staff go with that one. And I think that makes the coach's job easier, especially if you have a five offensive linemen who you know are going to do their job, and you know they're going to be consistently solid, and then you have a monster on the left side with David Bakhtiari. If you know those five are good, that makes a coach's job. He's going to sleep easier at night. He knows he's not going to have to worry about a ton to try and make changes for this team. And it makes you wonder that if they had been able to keep a solid right guard going and and if Jimmy Graham had dropped 20 pounds, if Mike McCarthy's still the coach of this team. Yeah, that could be very well. I think, you know, you mentioned the right guard position, and the issue that they ran into was Justin McCray was essentially anointed the starter at the end of the season. And I will admit, first and foremost, I was wrong about right guard. I was of the belief that McCray is fine. Maybe find a veteran. I didn't necessarily mean Byron Bell because it turns out he's a turnstile. Uh, and I think most people knew that by this point in the year. But find a guy who can be just average or good enough. You know, and I thought McCray could be that. And it turns out he wasn't. Uh, and then Byron Bell took over the starting position and he was horrible. They needed to be right about Justin McCray in the way that they were correct about Lane Taylor when they cut Josh Sitton a couple seasons ago. And they weren't. Uh, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, is the offensive line, like you mentioned, David Bakhtiari, stud, all pro. Corey Lindsley had an all pro level season. He's a good center. Brian Balaga, I don't understand the obsession that fans have of wanting him cut. Uh, he's a very good right tackle when he's healthy, and he's not as unhealthy as people make him out to be. Uh, I think that that's somebody you can look for his replacement, so to speak, uh, in this year's draft. I know that the popular name going around, and I'm sure you guys can thank Ross Duggan for this, is Dalton Reisner from Kansas State. I really like him as well. As somebody that could play right guard next year, 
and slide out to tackle if necessary uh, during his second season when Balaga is gone. But I am kind of of the belief of you could still draft Reisner if you do this, but what I would do personally, and I'm not Brian Gutekunst, and thank whoever it is you pray to that I'm not, but I would use I would want a veteran at right guard. And it doesn't necessarily have to be someone high-priced like Roger Saffold, but find a, find a happy medium between Roger Saffold, who's a high-level player, probably going to cost high-level money, and Byron Bell, which is French for big bag of suck. Like, find somewhere in the middle of that. No, I think you're absolutely right. That's that's the smart move, and I think that's what is going to end up happening. I think they're going to bring in a, a veteran guard and work with someone else and do whatever. But uh, so the offense coaching job is easier when you have the right players, and we'll see what uh, Brian Gutekunst does to bring in the right players. So let's wrap things up by talking about the the big shadow in the room, which is Mike McCarthy. Uh, Packer Hall of Fame coach helped bring the Packers out of the the Sherman era, helped bridge the Favre-Rogers gap, debate, fight, whatever you want to call it, civil war that was in the state of Wisconsin. But it was obvious his time had run out. He didn't have 12's attention anymore. He did not have the locker room's attention anymore, and it showed. Never have I had I seen, with the exception of railroads, had I seen a team that was unprepared, going through the motions, and just lazy out there than these last year's Packers teams. And it's it was just unbelievable to see the struggles that they had when you know the talent's there to be much better than they than they showed. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's hard because on a personal level, um, I love Mike McCarthy. Um, I think he's a he's a very good man um, by by all accounts. He was a highly successful coach. I know that's become a bit of a punchline because when he said it, the Packers haven't done very well since then. But you can't objectively look at Mike McCarthy's tenure as anything other than highly successful. Um, people seem to think that Sean Payton is this savant. And Mike McCarthy wasted the career of Aaron Rodgers. Well, I made the joke Sunday after the Saints lost the NFC Championship game that, you know, it really is a shame that Sean Payton has been allowed to waste the career of Drew Brees. And I was joking when I said that. Um, I said that because it's not fair to Mike McCarthy to make that assertion about him and not make the same assertion about Sean Payton. What's the reality of the situation? Both of them are very good coaches. Mike McCarthy's time just simply ran up. You could argue I'm sure the argument was being had a couple years ago. The Saints went seven and nine three years in a row. Drew Brees played every single game during that stretch. They the argument was probably being made for Sean Payton to be fired or does he need to go elsewhere or something like that. This year, obviously, they had a resurgence last year and probably should be playing in the Super Bowl this year, uh, but they're not. And Mike McCarthy this year, it was clear after. I mean, this is kind of the sad part. It was clear after the Bills game that he had lost this team. Uh, Aaron Rodgers came out and made a few comments after that game, as he's prone to do. If I have one frustration with the quarterback is he never really passed up an opportunity to take a passive aggressive shot at the head coach. When the head coach had gone out of his way to protect him from the media for several years, never would say anything bad about his quarterback in public. Honestly, any of his players, he never said anything bad except for, one comment he made about Eddie Lacy's weight. He critiqued Eddie Lacy in the media. That was it. Uh, but other than that, then you've got Aaron Nagler posted a play. The Packers ran like a third and forever, and they ran a wide receiver screen to Devontae Adams. And all he said was, you know, just punt on third down. Well, Devontae Adams liked that tweet. And, you know, players say all the time, oh, it was a mistake. I didn't mean to like that or whatever. It just happened as I was scrolling. That's a load of crap. Uh, and it was pretty clear throughout the rest of the season that the players did not believe in what McCarthy was preaching anymore. And I mean, I think that I don't think that McCarthy needed to be fired after the Cardinals game. I don't know what you gained. The only thing it did for me was make me uneasy that maybe they were going to hire Joe Philbin. Now, thankfully, they didn't do that. But I just didn't see a point in your season's over. Like the team sucks. And I don't think that you need to fire the coach who has done so much for this team. Mike, you laid out so many different things. I mean, Mike McCarthy was handed an impossible situation in 2008 where the franchise, Brett Favre, 
I mean, Mike, you're the same age as I am. I'm sure you feel the same way. Brett Favre was the Green Bay Packers. I have never been more conflicted as a fan than when that was happening as for who to side with. He bridges the gap to Aaron Rodgers. He wins a Super Bowl. Could have played in a couple others if a few things breaks away. If Brandon Boston gets the hell out of the way, he's at least played in one other Super Bowl. That's at least one. Uh, he navigated every injury and everything perfectly, and he represented this franchise very well. He will be a Packers Hall of Fame coach one day. I think once we separate from what happened this year, I've always made the argument, I think Mike McCarthy is the best coach in the history of this franchise, not named Vince Lombardi, uh, with all due respect to Mike Holmgren. But that's what I really believe. And it's just this year, like you mentioned, unmotivated. The The parallel that you made was a good one as far as the Ray Rhodes thing. This year really did remind me of 1999, even though I was a really young guy when that was going on. Um, just kind of the transition year of, it's clear it was time. And that's okay. It's, you know, time runs out on everybody except for Bill Belichick, apparently. Um, but time was up, and now the Packers are moving on to a different head coach, which I'm sure we're going to talk about for a little bit before we wrap here. No, absolutely. And that's the one thing when you look at uh, the tenure of Mike McCarthy, I agree with you. I do think he's the second greatest coach in team history, and I have been defending that for most of the past year. I do think I put him ahead of Holmgren because I think Holmgren gave up at the end of his tenure in Green Bay too. Not a, knock, not a knock at him, but I think McCarthy was a more, a better fit for what the city of Green Bay does. But uh, the big thing this year is you talk about the lack of preparation. It seemed like every game, with the exception of a couple, there would be three quarters that would go very, very well for the Packers. Whether it was the last three against the Bears, the first three in Week 2 against the Vikings, the first, the middle, kind of middle of the the Rams and Patriots games. Like, it's, they just couldn't put a, they could never put a full game together. And that goes on not being prepared and not listening and not, Taking the coaching that Mike McCarthy is, like you said, he he was a very he, and he is a very successful coach, and he will I think he's going to do a great job wherever he lands in a year from now as he takes the time to refresh himself and kind of uh, move on and just kind of get everything set with him with him and, and everything that's there. But it, it, you're right, it was time, and Bill Walsh's axiom rings true again. Sometimes ten years is too long for a coach. In this case, thirteen was too long for a coach that. The guys hear the message over and over and over again. It just kind of goes one ear out the other at that point. You see it with with teachers. You see it with sometimes with parents and things like that. So I think it just kind of showed here. And so I wish Mike the best. We'll see what, where he goes from here. But don't be surprised if we see him in a playoff game not too long from now with a new team. Uh, I will. I don't mean to cut you off, Mike, but I'll bet you – whatever it is you want to bet that the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings in 2020 is Mike McCarthy. Uh, and we'll see him twice a year. I'm resigned to it now. If I had to bet another one, if you told me he's not going to be the coach of the Vikings, I would bet the Steelers. If the Steelers were willing to fire Mike Tomlin, if they had another subpar year next year, but yeah, that's what I think is going to happen is, uh, Mike McCarthy is going to be the coach in Minnesota. And we're just all going to roll our eyes because it's perfect. It seems like every time somebody leaves the Packers, they end up in Minnesota straight. You know, you go all the way back to a bunch of guys from the early 2000s to now with Greg Jennings and Mike McCarthy makes perfect sense. And Mike Zimmer is uh, one to be scared. Ross Uglum again. I don't mean to keep pumping him up, but I mean, Ross's opinion is obviously one that I really respect. I work with him pretty closely on a lot of different stuff, but he's always said, you know, Rick Spielman, the GM of the Vikings finds a way to keep his job all the time. And, scapegoating Mike Zimmer after a seven and nine season next year for the Vikings and hiring Mike McCarthy just seems like a Vikings move. No, it does. And I've put a lot of thought into that as well. And put Mike McCarthy with the last year of Kirk Cousins, put him with Thielen and Diggs, And that's kind of scary. But as, as we move, we'll take a very quick look at, cause we're just doing kind of the recap of last year, but we'll take a look at what to look for with Matt LaFleur. And we were talking before we, we started recording about how, the rub on the floor is always, oh, he was with McVay. He's with McVay. He's going to run the Mike and Kyle Shanahan offense. Uh, we he's he's shown that in, in Tennessee. He showed that with how he worked with the guys in Washington and Houston and everything he's done there. He's going to run an old, uh, not an old school, but it's going to be very similar when you see the Shanahan offense. A lot of of smart blocking and simple play calls with a lot of variations. And he's a guy where he's going to rely on his running backs. And it, it's going to be a breath of fresh air for Matt LaFleur 
in Green Bay, I think, with the Packers next year and how he's going to uh, bring ki- kind of an old-school sentiment to, to them. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think the Packers are automatically Super Bowl contenders. Matt LaFleur could very well crash and burn. Uh, the buzz phrase that you kind of alluded to there is he keeps talking about illusion of complexity. And that is to say we're going to run the same stuff, but it's going to look different. And I think that's something that was lacking in Green Bay is, you know, Green Bay the last few years, they kept running slant flat out of 11 personnel. At some point, the defense knows what the hell is coming. Uh, and that's that's the point where you know that Mike McCarthy has to make some adjustments, and he was either unwilling or unable. I'm not sure which yet. Uh, we'll find out here in a year, like I mentioned, when he's in Minnesota. But LaFleur, you mentioned it. It's Kyle Shanahan's offense. It's Mike Shanahan's offense. Him being with Sean McVay didn't hurt his cause uh, because that's what everybody's trying to find. Sean McVay's in the Super Bowl. He's 33 years old. He's got an innovative offense. He's dragged who, in my opinion, is an average quarterback in Jared Goff to the Super Bowl, and I think that that's something that, you know, the Packers, they need to find ways to make things easier for Aaron Rodgers, find the matchups and exploit them. And, yeah, sometimes that means Devontae Adams, but you know what? Sometimes that means Aaron Jones out of the backfield or hopefully another running back. I don't have that high of an opinion of Jamal Williams, so I know that that gets me a lot of flack on the on the Twitter sphere because Jamal Williams is a likable dude, but I just – think that he's somebody that's easily upgradable from that's that's all I think on that but I would like to see you know some innovation from this offense and you mentioned you know some of the ways that he's going to do that uh the zone running scheme I think that's going to be a boon for Aaron Jones that one cutback I'm watching in the background here as we're talking here the Falcons Patriots Super Bowl from a couple years ago and obviously I know how it ends but you know just kind of watching what Kyle Shanahan was doing to the Patriots that day and that zone running scheme Matt LaFleur said in his opening press conference that everything is going to run off of that. And I think something else that I like about things that he said and things that he's done is I I think that I'm a big fan of, you know, know your personnel, coach the team you have, whatever phrase it is that you want to use, coach the team you have. And I think LaFleur did that last year because a lot of people are talking about how, you know, he ran the ball 60% of the time on first down or something like that. Okay, I understand that, you know, this isn't, establish the run, play good defense. That's, you know, that's 1980s football. It's not 2019 football. But at the same time, I think he was doing that because Marcus Mariota, we're not sure if he's any good. And I know Blaine Gabbert's not any good. How much talent was really on that Titans offense last year outside of court? I mean, Mike, you're into this sort of stuff too. From another opinion, what, in your opinion, Outside of Corey Davis, what talent was available for him on that roster last season? That's the thing. He lost to Laney Walker week one. Uh, he's got two good tackles, but the interior line's not very good. And Conklin missed most of the season. Yeah, and, and Derrick Henry's a good hammer. He's an, Eddie, he's an upgraded version of Eddie Lacy. But Mariota also is battling nerve damage. So you're right, there's not much you can do with that system you have. You have Deion Lewis and and Henry, but you lose your tight end, which we talked about tight ends, the pass rusher of the offense. Everything can a good tight end can help make everything easier. So when you lose a guy like Walker, that goes a long way to hurting your offense. And I remember I was reading uh Robert Griffin the third talked about uh, LaFleur a little bit this week too. And I think that's the thing to keep an eye on because LaFleur was the court I think the quarterback's coach when Robert Griffin third won rookie of the year before Mike Shanahan caused his knee to explode uh, by playing in a playoff game when he shouldn't have been. But if you watch some plays from that year and you watch what Griffin could do and how good he was when he was a rookie before everything went wrong from the knees down, if we can see that from Aaron Rodgers and from the Packers' offense, they're in very good. The offense is, is a light years better than what we've seen the past couple years. Yeah, and I think that you're talking about now, you know, Aaron Rodgers is not an old guy, but he's not young either. I think he turns 36 next season, and we're talking about ways that you need to extend his career. How do you do that? I know what makes Rodgers great, or one of the many things that makes Rodgers great is his ability to extend plays and play backyard football. But at the same time, I've always believed, and a lot of people really believe, that Rodgers is at his best when the ball is coming out of his hands quick. And that's something that the Packers need to Figure out a way to do it's, you know, we always make jokes. There's guys on Twitter all the time making fun of how Tom Brady throws the ball three yards at a time and to wide open receivers. Okay. Um, that's fine. And it's funny. And I laugh about it, but you know, 
that's something I want to see from the Packers too is Rodgers drops back and there's a guy who's open on time and Rodgers is getting the ball out of his hands because the reality of the situation is he can't take the hits that he's been taking over the last couple of seasons and expect him to. I mean, he got hurt in the first game of the season this year, and who the hell knows when he was honestly healthy, if he ever was at any point in the year. Packers got to be able to keep him healthy and get the ball out of his hands. So I think that that's, that's the biggest challenge for Matt LaFleur is to get Rodgers to buy into because, honestly, Rodgers hasn't played, quote-unquote, on time since Jordy Nelson got hurt in 2015. After that, it's really been run around and hope somebody can get open really quick because he hasn't trusted the offense. He hasn't trusted what he's seeing. He hasn't thrown the ball on time. That's what you have to do. And sometimes that means throwing the boring check down. Sometimes that means, you know, throwing the little out route and picking up five, six yards at a time. That's going to be LaFleur's biggest challenge. I think that's something that he's up to. It's a matter of whether or not the quarterback buys in. I think he will. Absolutely. And so as we wrap things up, I think we can both agree that coaching matters more than people think it does. And it showed with the Packers last year as far as everything we saw. And I think it's going to show again this year with how much coaching, even these guys are all professionals, coaching still makes as a huge difference in the game. Exhibit A would be the New England Patriots. New England Patriots, yep. Absolutely. So as we wrap things up, Jacob, where can people find you and what are you writing? What are you working on? I am working on the Cheesehead TV draft guide. I am doing tight ends this year. Uh, as far as writing goes, I'm a free agent. That's kind of by choice at this point. Uh, Podcasting-wise, I'm really busy with that. Uh, I'm on the Pack-A-Day podcast, as you can hear me now. Uh, those of you, you guys are probably getting sick of my voice at this point because I do every other Tuesday with Nick Schmitz. I do every Sunday uh, with Zach Jacobson. And I'm also with Pulse of the Pack with Jason Perrone on PackersTalk.com. And really, I mean, honestly, guys, I'm willing to talk football whenever, wherever, and this is what I love to do. You know, I mentioned, I say it all the time on Pulse of the Pack. You know, I don't do this to try and be famous. I do this because I like it. I like meeting guys. Mike, this is the first show we've ever done together. So, you know, I enjoy doing stuff like that, getting a different viewpoint, um, stuff like that. My Twitter account, I interact with as many uh, as many of my mentions as possible. My wife hates it because I really am addicted to my smartphone, but I enjoy talking football with you guys. Um, this is what we love, right? This is why we do this, because we want to talk not just Packers, but football in general. Uh, and you can find my Twitter account. I'm at Jacob Westendorf. Send me anything and everything. Uh, my tweets now are mostly still about football, but baseball season's coming. So if you hate the Yankees, uh, you're probably going to hate my Twitter feed for a little while, but that's okay. I can, I can respect that. Yankees need fans, too. Uh, you can find me <laughs> find me at Mike Welland on Twitter. I write for Dairyland Express. I'm actually working on a Badger hockey article right now. I'm making an all-time Wisconsin Badgers hockey team. And I'm a little optimistic on Twitter, but I'll do my best to try. And you can always interact with me there as well. And also listen to me here on Packaday on Dairyland Talk. I talk about the Brewers there as well. And I'll be covering almost every sport as well. And also, if you're in central Wisconsin, hear me on the radio at WDUX. But, and always also check out Packaday every single day. We'll have more great content again. I think it'll be you and Zach again tomorrow. So it'll be it'll be great to hear. So, oh, again, follow at Packaday Podcast. So until next time, for Jacob Westendorf, this is Mike Welland. Go Pack Go, and let's see what happens. From the 16 of New York, first down, goal to go. Rodgers in the shotgun, Williams to his left, here's the snap. Rodgers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end. To Wild. Oh, close! And taken by Jackson in the end zone for a touchdown! Geronimo Allison! Josh Jackson, the rookie, recovers in the end zone in a Lambeau lead to the north end zone stands. The Packers have a 6 nothing lead. Pepper on third down of three in the shotgun. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Pepper looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline, and intercepted. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rodgers, looking right. Throws the right side, seeing Brown makes the catch. Nice Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all 6'5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. 
Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Yes, Bradley delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. Third and five. 13-yard line of Atlanta. Snap Ryan. Looks right. Look right there. Intercepted to the house. Fishaw Freeland. Touchdown. Green Bay Packers. 19-yard interception return. And it's 16-7 Packers. And Rodgers looks it over. Takes the snap. Blitz on. They pick it up. Lock they got him. They got him. Single back offense behind Aaron Rodgers, who ducks in under center. From the 29 in Green Bay, and here's the handoff up the middle. Big hole, Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.